mentioned, it's my intention to have a brief topical sermon series on the subject of fellowship. That's been uh, something of a theme for us throughout this, this year. And I'll be preaching on that subject today from the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 1 through 4. Listen as I read God's word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Titled this sermon, Fellowship in the Son. And when I say that, you may come to the wrong conclusion that we are planning some beach party for the congregation. Fellowship in the sun, S-U-N. But it isn't the S-U-N sun. It is the S-O-N sun. The sun, Jesus Christ. I'll be drawing your attention to the subject of fellowship today and in the coming weeks so that we may enjoy fellowship with God and fellowship with with each other. Fellowship is an interesting word, isn't it? Just what is fellowship? You may know the term because of the popular book and movie by J.R. Tolkien, The Fellowship of the Ring. So maybe we could start there and say, what was that fellowship? Well, it was the group or the company that came together for an awesome purpose, the purpose of destroying the enemy's ring of power. They were bound together by that common purpose, and they come to be known as the fellowship of the ring, the company that's bound together for this awesome purpose. We might also use the word community to speak about who we are together. In fact, I would say that our human nature resonates with this concept. There's something about us that naturally longs to be part of a community. We long to belong to something and to be known and to know someone else. We long for that uh, in the idea of community or of friendship or companions. There is a basic human need that everybody desires. But there's more to it than just a human need. There is a a vital spiritual need that is expressed. This is because God made us to be in a relationship with him, to have fellowship with him. This goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. When the Lord created the heavens and the earth, when he made the earth and put Adam and Eve on it, they walked and talked with God in fellowship 
in the Garden of Eden. And since there was no sin, there was a perfect relationship. There was a perfect fellowship that they enjoyed. It wasn't broken by the rebellion that entered when Adam and Eve sinned. And that brokenness is something that is affecting us down throughout the ages, even to this day, and will be till we are redeemed and made perfect in righteousness. This is what the Bible calls sin. We are alienated from God. We have rebelled against our creator. And deep down, you know it. Deep down, you know your conscience is burdened by the wrong that you do. So, how can we restore that? How can we restore that with those around us? How can we restore it with God? Well, fellowship starts with our relationship with God. The relationship that is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first point that I'd like to make in this series of sermons, is that our fellowship is in the Son. That the foundation for our fellowship is Jesus. If you think about a foundation, you might understand that, that, uh, that the foundation is there so that whatever is built upon it can have, have structure and can have, have strength. It won't be blown away by the tornadoes of the troubles of this life. So today we'll be thinking of something of the theological foundation for our fellowship. And very simply, uh, the foundation is Jesus. And this comes through in what John says, because John not only speaks about that foundation, but he speaks with this sense of purpose for fellowship. And that purpose statement comes through in verse 3 says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you for this reason, I'm, I'm supplying those words, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's a purpose statement. I am sharing these things for a reason, so that you, too, may enjoy what we have come to know in Jesus, so that we would be bound together in this this same relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what we have seen and heard and declare to you. We declare Jesus. And that's what the first three verses are about, the first Uh, The first things that John says, he elaborates by saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. Well, what he's doing is saying what he's talking about. He's going to tell you about Jesus and about how you can be a Christian, 
Very simply, how you can have a restored relationship with God. I am declaring to you this word, this word of life. And if you don't catch the reference here, you might, uh, you might go back and look at when John records what he saw and heard in a fuller fashion. You would recognize this as one of the Gospels of the New Testament, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was one of those witnesses of Jesus' life. And he says as much, I'm telling you these things. And in fact, he begins this letter in a similar fashion as he begins that gospel. In John 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Who is this word John is talking about? Well, it's Jesus. (laughs) And he uses a phrase that would would catch the interest of those that he was writing to, catch the interest of the Jews, the people of God who knew that the Lord had revealed himself by his word in the Old Testament. Would catch the interest of of those who were not Jews, because in the, in the Greek world, the philosophy of the idea of the word was something that Greek philosophy was fascinated with. But what John does is he says it's not an empty philosophy, and it's more than the written and spoken word of God. It is a person. It is Jesus Because this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. What he says here in this letter is that this word I identify now as the word of life. And the life was manifested to us. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you about this eternal life. It was within, was with was in fellowship with the Father, but has now come to us. Again, he's, he's using words to, uh, to generate interest in the person and work of Jesus. John has a, a single-minded focus here that, uh, that emphasizes the absolute necessity of you knowing Jesus. And there is a a beautiful simplicity about John's message. It is all about Jesus. If you want to know what Christianity is about, it's about Jesus. If you want to know what the church is about, it's about Jesus. That elegant simplicity is born over and over again throughout the Bible. In fact, you could see it as what I've called the overarching story of the Bible. That God sent Jesus into the world to be our Savior. 
Now, John does go on to give what you might call evidences for Christianity. These are really fascinating, the ones that deserve much more attention than I'm going to give it today. You can discuss this over lunch, or if you want to know more about it, uh, give me a call and we'll sit down over coffee and talk more about these evidences. But I'll just call attention to the fact that John refers to Jesus and refers to them in a way that records objective facts, objective truth. So he says that he's an eyewitness to this life and ministry of Jesus. He heard what Jesus taught with his own ears. It wasn't a rumor. It wasn't second or third hand. He heard it himself. He saw what Jesus did. He was there to witness the miracles of the healing of the blind man, the raising of the dead boy, the cleansing of the leopards and lepers and so on. I'm sure he could cleanse leopards if he wanted to, but lepers, uh, those who were, were afflicted with deadly sickness, he saw these things. He witnessed Jesus' death on the cross of his body being laid in the tomb and a tomb that was sealed behind him and guarded. And he was there to see and to touch and to handle the risen Savior Jesus Christ alive from the dead. He was a recipient of the Spirit of God to record all of these things and to record the teachings of Jesus that are oh so important. In a court of law, they give great weight to this type of eyewitness accounts. In historical research, we call this primary evidence, not secondary or tertiary. It is primary evidence. In other words, This is not a story that you heard from Billy, who got it from Sally, who overheard it at Walmart. No, John saw and heard and witnessed and touched and recorded by the Spirit of God, the living Savior Jesus Christ and his gospel. Foundation, fellowship is Jesus. And John recorded this, and he recorded it with a purpose. I've already identified this. He calls you to believe in Jesus. John calls you to believe in Jesus. This isn't some biography that John is recording. To be shelved in the annals of history and in your library. This is not a historical account, a recitation of facts. He writes with a purpose. He longs for you to know Jesus, for you to have fellowship with God, along with all of the other saints. 
He longs for you to have fellowship with God and with others. I want you to look again at that purpose statement. He says, we declare these things that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you so that your joy may be full. There's that purpose purpose statement, that, that longing for others to come to Christ. And I want you to, 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 to recognize how John's purpose is a, a purpose of ours as well. It's a purpose of ours that, that, that the gospel would be shared with others so that they too would come to know Jesus Christ. So that they too would turn away from the path of destruction that they are on and come to know the joy of everlasting life of their sins being forgiven and the shame of that being wiped away. That's the joy that John is communicating and that is given to us to communicate as well. We are bearing that gospel message to the ends of the earth too. A gospel that invites others to come to know Jesus, to be in fellowship with him and with fellowship with one another. Now there is, uh, there are aspects to that that come through in John's gospel and in John's letter. You should know that John was contending against errors in belief about Jesus. And I want to highlight this because This is very important in our day and age because there are many different concepts of who Jesus is, many different concepts about God. So John was contending against an ancient error called Gnosticism. And I won't go into that deeply, but I'll just tell you that they denied the humanity of Jesus Christ. In doing so, they led people astray. They led people away from the truth. They led people away from the Jesus of the Bible that John declares. You might scratch your head and say, well, how can that be? How could could those that never even saw Jesus lead, lead people astray from the eyewitness accounts that John has given? It just shows you the deceptiveness of Satan. And the deceptiveness of the enemy to, to, uh, to cloud the truth of the Bible. To direct you away from that foundational truth of who Jesus is. Commentator, the pastor James Boyce puts it this way. He talks about Gnosticism as a well-developed system of beliefs. Very refined. Very intricate. Appealed to the the Greek mindset, and so what they would do is they would lay the system over the gospel, and where it needed it, they would make the historical truth fit their system, rather than claiming the truth that was there. 
like what Boyce says in this account, he says, but a system is not life, nor does it transform life. A system is in and of itself nothing. What Christianity has and the others do not is life. Did you catch that? What Christianity has, what God offers to you is life. Not a system, not a way to manage the trouble that you are in or the relationships that are around you. He offers you something deeper than that. He offers you life itself. And then growing up out of that life, growing up out of that foundation is the structure that comes from being in fellowship with God through Jesus and fellowship then with others around you. And I say that this is important because maybe that Gnosticism is, you're not very familiar with that or may not detect that in the world around you. It shows up in various forms, but there are Lots of other ways that people deny the truth of Jesus. I've told you before about a long conversation over years that I've had with a group from the Baha'i faith. Talk about an intricate system. They claim that their religion can unify all of the religions of the world While they do not deny Jesus, they fit him into this unified system. And at the end of the day, they don't have Jesus. They honestly don't, and because of that, they don't have life. It is not the truth. They have believed a lie. Because of that, they don't have life. I've known others that grasp the idea that they need to be good. They need to be holy because God is holy. I even know one man who says, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I know I'm not holy, so I'll remain outside of Christianity. Thinking of themselves in this way that that that's something noble, but it isn't. He doesn't have Jesus. He doesn't have life. I know many, many more who have adopted the be good, altruistic type of approach to life. Be nice to people around you. But they don't have Jesus. They're trying to put everything in order by their own power and by their own niceness. In all of these cases... It is vitally important for you to hear this call of John. You need Jesus. He calls you to believe in Jesus, to repent of your sins, and thereby to, be, have, to, to have fellowship with Jesus. John calls you to that. I call you to that today. To believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And John talks about that 
in terms of fellowship with God. And we can speak of that then to say, this is his speaking about salvation. This is how you are saved, to be brought back into that sweet fellowship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Imagine that, that longing of the heart to know and be known by someone is offered to you by God himself. You may be drawn into this intimate relationship that the Lord has enjoyed throughout all eternity. You may know God and be known by him. Just think of how startling that would be for the Greeks in John's day. Their gods were unknowable, unapproachable. John is saying, you may, you may live in fellowship with God. And he offers this beautiful invitation, the joy of salvation to come to him. There are many other doubts today, many other false beliefs, and I've mentioned some. Let me also say that... Uh, that today there are those who are questioning, is there, is there really a God at all? Or does it matter that there's a God? Or they'll say, how can you be sure? And what if my truth isn't your truth? I want to say that those are legitimate questions. What I invite you to do is to compare what you have with Jesus. I invite you to an honest comparison between those two things. And I'll think that you, I think that you will find that Jesus addresses all of those human longings that you're trying to find the answer for in what you hold in this hand. I think that you will find that in Jesus, that you'll find salvation, that you'll find fellowship, something to address that deep down knowledge that you have sinned against an almighty God. That means that what the Bible holds out to you is not a good story, it's not a self-help book, it's not a therapy for your for a, a guilty conscience or for your soul. You need to read this book. You need to be challenged by the truth of Christianity. You need to believe in Jesus. Based then on your fellowship with God, John writes, we also have fellowship with one another. I've called it the foundation on which we are built. Another analogy would be the glue that holds us together. The glue is our common faith in Jesus. It has to be. It can't be anything else. It's not the, it's not the basis. We don't, we're not held together by the, the, the friendships that are formed within our congregation. It's not some business association where, where the fraternity and sorority have, uh, have promised to watch out for each other. You're not held, to, held together by the power of my magnetic personality. 
not held together by tradition or duty, held together by Jesus. It has to be that. There's a sense of that that I want you to recognize. We celebrate each week when we gather for worship. We come together to see Jesus. Come together to see him. And along the way, we are gathered with others who are here to see Jesus. Fellowship vertically that I like to talk about, the fellowship we have with Jesus, with God, is then poured out horizontally towards each other. Here to, we are here to hear Jesus, to hear his word read, preached, and applied to our lives. We are here to, to touch and to taste and experience the reality of the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus. Because the Lord meet with, meets with us here and he assures us, you are my child and your sins are forgiven. I've wiped away the shame of your transgressions and embrace you as my child. That's why we are here and we, we celebrate that and, and enjoy that each and every week in our worship. And to that is added then the, those horizontal aspects of the joy of salvation in Jesus Christ. The, the, the horizontal aspects of, of joining together to, to lift up our voices to praise him. To unite our hearts together to pray to him. Confessing our sins together. Uh, being an assurance to one another of that promise of the forgiveness of sins. To eat together. To laugh together. To cry together. But the foundation of that, the glue of it, is Jesus. So today and in the coming weeks, I invite you to carefully consider the truth of Jesus. Not for an academic purpose, but as a longing to know him and to be known by him. And you'll find that when you believe in Jesus that he will bless you with belonging. There's that aching need that we all have. You'll find that he answers that with belonging to him first and foremost in that concept of fellowship that John speaks of, what we call salvation. And you will have belonging or fellowship with other believers, what we call the church. May God bless you then with believing and belonging. Amen. Lord God, we do long for this. It is part of the way that you made us to be in relationship with you and relationship with others. Lord, I pray that you would meet that, no, that longing that we have in Jesus. That by your spirit that you would would make us alive so that we 
repent and trust in our Savior Jesus. And Lord, we long for others to enter into that joy as well. May you be cleansing us and perfecting that in us as a congregation and uh, making us a light and a voice to the world around us, that they too might enter into that great joy and fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Close by singing Psalm 71c. Psalm 71c. God is the rock of our salvation. He doesn't change. Let's stand and sing.